This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Brazil's top electoral court banned Jair Bolsonaro, a former president, from holding public office until 2030. The court found that Mr Bolsonaro abused his powers by casting doubt over the trustworthiness of Brazil's electronic voting machines and implying that the 2022 election was rigged. He lost his bid for re-election to Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, a left-wing rival. President Joe Biden said the Supreme Court, quote, misinterpreted the Constitution in striking down his student loan relief programme, which would have cancelled about $430 billion in debt. He pledged to pursue debt forgiveness under a different statute. The six-justice conservative majority held that, in enacting the programme, the Biden administration overstepped its authority. France's interior minister said that 45,000 police officers would be deployed to quell riots provoked by the killing of a teenager by police. 900 protesters have been arrested with an average age of 17. The riots, which began on Tuesday night, claimed their first fatality, a 19-year-old who fell from the roof of a supermarket. The government also announced that buses and trams nationwide would not operate on Friday evening. Inflation in the Eurozone fell to 5.5% in June, down from 6.1% in May, the slowest rate this year. But core inflation, which strips out volatile food and fuel costs, rose slightly to 5.4%, up 0.1 percentage point compared with a month earlier. That will encourage the ECB to continue to raise interest rates when it meets in July. South Africa's legal ombudsman cleared Cyril Ramaphosa, the president, of wrongdoing over a scandal involving a theft from his farm. Robbers stole $580,000 in cash, stashed in Mr Ramaphosa's sofa. He claims to have got the money from the sale of a herd of buffalo. He was accused of abusing his presidential powers by interfering with an investigation into the burglary. The Dutch government said that it would require companies to seek permission before exporting equipment used to create advanced semiconductors. ASML, a Dutch firm, is the world's largest producer of photolithographic machines, which use light to etch circuits onto silicon wafers. The machines are critical for chip making. America has been pressuring the Netherlands to restrict China's access to semiconductor technology. Manufacturing activity in China contracted for a third straight month in June. The Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index was 49, up from 48.8 in May, but below 50. Anything above that is an expansion in activity. China's economic recovery is slowing in various sectors. Earlier this week, Li Chang, China's Prime Minister, claimed that the economy was still on track to reach the government's 5% annual growth target. And word of the week, guozi dazi, a phrase invented by Xi Jinping, China's leader, which he uses to mean, quote, national priorities. His frequent use of it has spawned a book industry, including one title asking, what is guozi dazi? And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead.
Hong Kong's Gloomy Establishment Day The rain on July 1, 1997 was typically tropically torrential as Britain returned Hong Kong to China. The handover was the culmination of years of negotiation during which Deng Xiaoping, China's leader, had comprehensively outmaneuvered Margaret Thatcher, his British counterpart. Thatcher was desperate to secure Britain a continuing role in running the territory, but her position was weak. Britain claimed Hong Kong Island and Kowloon Peninsula in perpetuity, the spoils of mid-19th century opium wars, but the far larger new territories had been secured only on a 99-year lease in 1898. Hong Kongers will have mixed feelings about Saturday's Establishment Day. Britain brought prosperity and the rule of law, but never the democracy many craved. Under China's one country, two systems, they were promised significant autonomy and freedom, but today, at China's behest, those calling for their rights have been locked up, forced to flee, or cowed into silence. Rain is again forecast for Saturday, no doubt reflecting the mood of many Hong Kongers. Russia's Aeroflot resumes flights to Cuba. On Saturday, Aeroflot, Russia's biggest airline, will resume direct flights from Moscow to Cuba. They were suspended 16 months ago when Canada and Europe closed its airspace to Russian planes after the invasion of Ukraine. A smaller airline earlier resumed flights. Their trip now involves flying through the Arctic Circle and south near Greenland, adding about 1,600 kilometers to the route. Russia is billing the flights as a sign that its diplomatic ties are strengthening, albeit with a fellow pariah. Cuba hopes that they will boost its tourism sector. In 2022, 1.6 million people visited, 600,000 of whom were Cubans living abroad, down from between 4 and 5 million in the years before the pandemic. In 2019, tourism accounted for more than a tenth of GDP. Yet it will take more than a few Russians to relieve the cash-strapped island of its economic distress, created by years of state control of the economy, the pandemic, and social unrest. The Tour de France gets underway. How much physical danger should be permitted in a professional sport? Cycling's most famous race, the Tour de France, begins in Bilbao on Saturday, but does so under a cloud. Two weeks ago, a Swiss racer, Gino Mater, died during a stage of the Tour de Suisse. Mr. Mater was involved in a crash during a descent and fell down a ravine. No Tour de France rider has died for almost 30 years, but serious injuries are common and crashes inevitable. This is understood and accepted by the cyclists. Nevertheless, Mr. Mater's death has led to calls for netting to be installed on the most dangerous sections of descents. But even the cyclists cannot agree where to put it. Two of Mr. Mater's fellow racers disagreed on social media as to whether the section in which he crashed was dangerous. No one wants to see cycling neutered, but nor should it be deadly. Deaf Leopard's Rise from Crooks to Wembley On Saturday, Deaf Leopard will headline Wembley, the largest stadium in Britain. Like any aspiring hitmaker, the rock band started out playing much humbler venues. They won attention in the late 1970s after appearances at Crooks, a private social club in Yorkshire that is part of a network of British venues known as Working Men's Clubs. The Working Men's Club and Institute Union, CIU, was founded in 1862 to offer their members uplifting education. The clubs became better known for supplying cheap beer after pubs had closed and then as a hub of entertainment. In the 1970s and 1980s, scores of bands in the new wave of British heavy metal got their start in these venues. 
After a period of decline, clubs are back at the heart of grassroots music. Venues such as Crooks, the Brudenell Social Club in Leeds, and the Moth Club in East London continue to honor CIU's original vision, providing uplift at reasonable prices. Weekend Profile Claudine Gay, Harvard University's First Black President Quote, My parents believed that education opens every door, said Claudine Gay, a political scientist, in a speech in December after she was appointed the 30th president of Harvard University. A spot in Harvard's freshman class can indeed unlock doors, but Ms. Gay, who starts her job on Saturday, will have to rethink how the keys are allocated following the Supreme Court's ruling that ends race-based admissions. Ms. Gay has said that her parents, Haitian immigrants who met while studying in New York, worked hard to put themselves through college. She was born in the Bronx in 1970 and grew up between Saudi Arabia, where her father worked for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and America, where she attended Phillips Exeter Academy, a selective boarding school. Her cousin, the author Roxane Gay, told The Crimson, Harvard student newspaper, that growing up abroad made Claudine, quote, very resolute and badass and confident of her place in the world. Her place seemed to be the upper echelon of American academia. She studied economics at Stanford University and political science at Harvard, where she began teaching in 2006. She has served as dean of two of its biggest schools. Ms. Gay is the second woman to run Harvard in its nearly 400-year history and the first non-white president. In 2014, a group of Asian Americans represented by a conservative lawyer activist sued Harvard, arguing that its consideration of race in admissions was discriminatory. The policy, known as affirmative action, gave a leg up to black, Hispanic, and Native American applicants. That lawsuit, and another against the University of North Carolina, worked its way up to the Supreme Court. On Thursday, the conservative majority ruled for the plaintiffs. Ms. Gay has credited campus diversity with improving students' educational experiences by ensuring a, quote, special alchemy of backgrounds. Universities will now need a new approach, and many will no doubt be watching Harvard's next steps. Hours after the decision, she responded in a video. The ruling, she said, only, quote, strengthened our resolve to continue opening doors. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random were David Flack, Wichita Falls, Texas, America, Dean Dowdy, Athens, Greece, Cheryl Hislop, Ottawa, Canada. They all gave the correct answers of Strangers on a Train, The Economy Stupid, Witchcraft, Lady and the Tramp, and New York. The theme is Sinatra songs, Strangers in the Night, Something Stupid, Witchcraft, The Lady is a Tramp, and New York, New York. The questions were, Monday, which 1951 Hitchcock film was based on a Patricia Highsmith novel? Tuesday, which slogan devised by James Carville was designed to keep the Clinton presidential campaign focused on bread-and-butter issues? Wednesday, Martha Corey, Alice Parker, and Anne Pudiator were among those executed for which crime in Salem in 1692? Thursday, which 1955 Disney film features two dogs sharing a bowl of spaghetti? Friday, which U.S. state shares a border with both Ontario and Quebec? And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Simone Weil. 
Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.